Let's pray. Let's get into it. Father, uh, we are so grateful, Lord God, for your presence, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, our wonderful counselor. Father, thank you that we can abide in you. And thank you that uh, we can depend on you. Lord, I depend on you. Lord, I'm nothing without you. And so I pray right now that um, the ministry of the Spirit would continue uh, in the elevation of your word, your truth here today, that it would not be my words, but your words, Lord God. And just uh, mark your word here now. Let this be a prophetic moment and a marking in our lives. Uh, Lord, we just are so moved by your presence, Lord. We just love you immensely because you have loved us first. Have your way. Uh, again, anoint and, and uh, uh, make your word not come back without its impact. We bless you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, good to be back with you guys. Last time I was with you, uh, seems like forever ago, it was the beginning of July. We're still in the same month. <laughs> Just seems so long because it was five, five weeks this month, uh, five Sundays. And if you remember that message, uh, it was a message that I, that I gave that I felt a prophetic word that the Lord had given me about. If God was to write a message for our nation, where we're at as a nation, uh, what would he write on the wall? And we talked through that. And I shared with you that, uh, you know, there have been empires in history. Empires will rise and empires will fall. And America certainly fits that qualification. The nations of the world, there's been throughout history different nations that have risen and fallen. And here we are in this nation, uh, by many regards, the most freest, prosperous nation in the history of the world the most unique experiment of self-governance in the history of the world. And yet, if we're honest, we would recognize that our culture is collapsing around us. It's, uh, we're in trouble. It's, it's not great news right now as far as where the culture of the nation is at and the culture of the nation's. Uh, we are in the last days, and, and that's, a, in, that's indicative of that. But this morning, I want to share with you a message that uh, it was actually an article that I read, so I'm kind of borrowing the title from that article when we get to that, but it's a message about really the condition of America, the condition of God's people in America. And in the article, uh, there's an author that's, that's quoted. You may have heard his name, Erwin Lutzer and great author, and, and he wrote a, a book that uh, is titled No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. Would you guys agree that our culture is on the downward direction, right? It's going down, and yet there are uh, pockets and, and places where God is moving, and he's on the move, and, and he, he's relentless, isn't he? Amen? Don't you, aren't you glad that our God is relentless? Because he's responding to the cries of his people. And the question is, how do we not hide our faith? How do we operate in that collapsing culture that is a dark culture? Would you agree it's dark? It's easy to stand up here, and we've done it, and I've done it, where we can easily call out the darkness. We must call out the darkness. We're, we're called to expose darkness, but it's easy to curse the darkness. 
and not then have a solution of how to live in the darkness as what? As the opposite, as light. And so there's a lot of, a lot of things we can talk about as far as our, our, our culture. The Bible calls this the signs of the times. We look at the last days and we can talk about the corruption and lawlessness. We can talk about immorality. Woo, there's one to talk about, right? The immorality of our culture, the immorality of um, the condition of, of people's hearts. We have, uh, again, made evil to be so good and good to be so evil. We're coming after those who are standing for righteousness will, will jail people who are standing for righteousness, but those who seem to be the criminals seem to be getting off. Yeah. Yeah. There seems to be no justice in the land. Right. So true. And so uh, since this is a little bit of a heavier message in that sense, I wanted to start with a little bit of levity this morning, okay, because um, it's good to laugh, right? And so I, I usually bring a little Babylon Bee in for, here for you. Wow. Remember, this is satire. Okay? And I love this headline. A family torn between placing grandpa in hospice and having him run for Senate. Um, because as Pastor Ken's talking about running for office, uh, it seems like the condition of our, of our nation and those, like this is really the best we can do. We got people in geriatrics and wheelchairs, can't even, and I'm not making fun of it. I mean, those people need help. They need medical attention. They need spiritual help. But this is where we're at as a nation that, these people can't get three words out. Our president fumbles up and down stairs and can't get word out. And, and the Senate, you know, majority leader and, 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 and uh, people, this is, uh, this is not good. And this is, so we laugh, but it's the condition of our nation. And we are in this place of this rise and fall. And what Erwin Lutzer says, and I love this, in this book that he wrote, he says this, he says there's three ways that you can live in such, such a culture. You can, number one, be complicit in the collapse. And isn't that, and to some extent, where many, much of the church is at, where we're actually partaking in the collapse. We're aiding and abetting in the collapse. Number two, he says you can be complacent. So we're like, ah, well, you know, it's going to happen. So why bother? Why bother standing? Why bother even resisting the collapse? Why just let it happen? Because ultimately, the Bible's prophesied. And I believe that the Bible has prophesied these things, but yet some would say, we're not even supposed to be involved. Oh, boy. And the third thing he says is, and the right response is, that we are to be not complicit and not complacent, but courageous. Stand courageously in the midst of the collapse, in the midst of the darkness. We still have to stand courageously for the truth, for the light. And as we said, abide in the Lord. Abide at all costs. He then goes on to say this, and I love this. I love this. This doesn't make me popular with some people, but I love this. Look at this. The day of the casual Christian is over. Oh, boy. That will not preach in many churches, Pastor. Because that's what the church wants to be. We want to be casual, you know, okay, I got Easter covered, I got Christmas covered, and then occasionally if I really want to show off, I'll maybe go to a service or two. So we're really good in America at being casual Christians, but we're not good at being courageous Christians. So true. That's true. And he says this, 
No longer is it possible to drift along, hoping that no tough choices will have to be made. At this point in American history, any moral and spiritual progress will have to be won at a great cost. How many of you want a moral revival in this nation? Amen? Well, guess what? It's going to come at a great cost. Are we willing to pay the price? That he says, the darker the night, the more important every light becomes. And so if we agree that there's a lot of darkness, we get a courageous generation of Christians. And again, as Pastor was talking about in 2012, when I ran for governor in the state of Washington, the leftist uh, socialist <laughs> Republic of Washington, uh, ironically, the, camp, the theme of our campaign, I actually went back online and found our logo. Uh, it was courageous leadership. That was the theme of our campaign. And um, so I don't know, um, uh, I don't know if Pastor Ken's prophetically speaking this morning. I, I'm going to <laughs> I'm gonna have to figure that out. But Tennessee has this rule that you have to live here seven years before you can run for governor. And so uh, we have to just trust the Lord's timing and the plans because uh, I don't, there are, I mean, listen, at this point, I'm like, Lord, forget it. Just come back. All right. I don't know about you. I'm just, just come back. All right. I'd rather you come back than, you know, but we, we occupy till he comes. So the Lord's will be done. And so there's a process there and we'll see. I'm, uh, uh, we'll just, I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it, pastor. All right. I'll pray about it and see uh, what the process is to get there. But the message, the title of, of this message this morning is we need to bring in more light, bring in the candles in the darkness. We need an increase of the light. And so this is actually a, a famous story that I'll talk about at the end. Uh, back around 1780, when they were just struggling as, as a brand new nation here in America. The birth, they had declared independence in 1776, right? Now they're preparing for war against England, and they're just barely hanging on in the midst of what seems a, like dark days ahead, like it seems like they're, they're not going to be able to, to pull away from the tyranny. Now, we know according to the scriptures, and I'll get to that story at the end. Well, we know according to the scriptures that Jesus has said that we're supposed to be, well, it's salt and light. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. After that, Jesus says, you're supposed to be the salt of the earth. And that salt is what? Salt is a preservative that does what? It, decay, it delays the decaying process. So salt is supposed to be in the culture to delay, to slow down the decaying process so that more people have an opportunity to hear the truth and come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But the Bible says if you lose your saltiness, if you have no taste, it's bland, then it's thrown down on the ground. And what happens? You're trampled upon. And isn't that what's happening to Christians? Isn't that what's happening to us? We're being trampled upon because we have not been salt and we have not been light. As this verse says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. 
Now, this had amazing significance for the early disciples that are hearing this teaching of Jesus, the early followers, because remember, the majority of them were Jewish. And so this was a reminder. This was actually a, a, a callback to the Old Testament. Jesus was reminding them that God had called the nation of Israel to be what? A light to the nations. That it wasn't supposed to be hidden. It was supposed to stand on the hill and reflect to all the nations and point to the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they had forgotten that. And now the message for us today is what? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. As I was preparing this message, I was reminded that back in 2005 in Washington State, the Lord had led us to do house churches. And I've always had a burden for, for, for preparing you know, house churches because we, we see how the Christians are living in other parts of the world that are heavily persecuted, right? Like we meet publicly here, but this is, this is a blessing. This is a privilege compared to what many Christians are facing in other parts of the world. And, and we, we were living out this passage. In fact, our ministry was called Shine because we were living out this passage and wanting to be light. But we have to remember that the reason we're called to be light in the darkness and bring in the candles and bring in more light is why? Because Jesus himself was what? The light of the world. And I want to actually go back to the Old Testament. Because there was a prophecy back in Isaiah chapter 60 that was foretelling of the light that was going to come. And it was a messianic prophecy, and it actually has two portions, one is which is yet to be fulfilled. And remember that Isaiah is dealing with the people of Israel in the upper kingdom that are apostate. They've completely forsaken God. This is about 800 years before Jesus is born. And they're, they're out to lunch. They've completely abandoned God. Does that sound familiar? And he's saying to them, there is a light coming. Arise, shine, for your light has come. To who? He's talking to Jerusalem. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. So one is talking about the coming of the Messiah, that there will be a Messiah that will come that will be the light of the world. But two, this is a prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled because it's going to talk about the day that Zion will once again be a light. Remember, what was God's design? What was God's heart? What did he want Jerusalem to be? What did he want Israel to be? A light to the nations. And he says that day will come, but it will come when he will rule and reign. Amen? And when the Messiah comes, when, when, the, when the Redeemer comes, guess where he's going to set up? In Jerusalem. Guess where his kingdom is going to be set up? In Jerusalem. It's not going to be in D.C. or in Rome or, or the, in New York or the United Nations. It's going to be set up in Jerusalem and Zion. And Zion will once again be a light to all the nations of the earth. Amen? Amen. And so the light has come in the Messiah and the light will come in the king of kings. And so now Jesus in John chapter 8 is actually lending to this prophecy. He's actually proving that it is what is happening because then he declares once again as Jesus was speaking to the crowds and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, 
but we'll have the light of life. Their eyes should have popped open because she said, oh my goodness, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy back in the cha Isaiah chapter 60. This is the light that God promised. Here he is amongst you. And guess what? We have that light. Amen. We carry that light. Think about that responsibility. We are the light carriers. We re represent. And by the way, if you go back to Isaiah, why is he the light? Because of his glory. You know why it's light? Because it's his glory. The manifestation of his glory is light. Yes. We, right now, folks, brothers and sisters, we're only getting a glimpse of it. Because we have these bodies that can't handle it. These bodies can't handle the light. And the problem with where we're at in this nation, before I move on, is listen, there are, there are parts of this nation that are in utter darkness. There are cities in this nation that are in utter darkness. And there's places like East Tennessee. As, as, as the brother said, you know, of the three stars, we're supposed to be the brightest over here. And I, we, I've heard it over and over again. You know, Tennessee is the buckle of the Bible Belt. We're in the buckle. And I keep saying, but wait a second. We're looking like we're rocking around with our pants down. <laughs> Pull up our pants. Buckle up. Have you ever tried to run around your house with your pants around your ankles? Well, not only are you not going to go anywhere, you're going to hit something. You're going to fall. I don't care how talented you are with your pants down. Time to pull up our pants. Tennessee, buckle up. Because we're supposed to be the light in the midst of the darkness. And I believe that East Tennessee has the potential of being that greatest light in this nation. Of the entire nation. It has the potential if we seek after our God. And on the screen there, I put some other references, John chapter 5 and the Psalms and 1 John. These are other references you can look up on your own time that reference, again, Jesus' declaratory statement that he is the light of the world, that he's the fulfillment. And then what's amazing, I showed you what was prophecy in the Old Testament. I showed you what was during the time of Jesus. And now I'm going to show you the future. Because here in Revelation chapter 21, Jesus is then speaking of the coming of the great eternal city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And look how he describes it. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Wait a second now. There's no temple? No. He is the temple, and there's no light. The city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it. Can you imagine if the earth had no sun and no moon? Can you imagine if it was just perpetual darkness? That is scary, isn't it? There's going to be no sun, no moon to shine in it. For what? The glory of God illuminates it. The Lamb is its light. Amen? Wow. That's who we represent. The glory of God being in us. The light bearers in us in a dark world. So I want to share with you three things that I believe are imperative. And really, number four has already been shared in the importance of abiding in Christ, depending on Christ. But the very first thing, especially where we're at as a nation and being that as a patriot church and as Christians who are patriots, we love our God. We love his kingdom. Amen. First and foremost. 
but we have a burden for our nation. We have a burden for our communities, and we have a burden for righteousness. We have a burden. We should be burning with that burden. And whether we can ultimately change the environment or not is not up to us. Pastor, as you said with the governor, a good leader who is, who is claiming to be a Christ follower should know the outcome is not my responsibility, governor. Governor, the outcome is not your job to please people. It's your job to serve the Lord who put you into that position. Your responsibility is to do what is right and righteous and leave the outcome to the hands of the king of kings. That's what, because you're never, pastor, you said it, you're never, if you vacillate, you're never going to please anybody. Vacillation never works. Squishy middle never works. And these Republicans just can't get this. I, when I ran for governor, I saw the same thing. They just wanted me to moderate. Can you just come to the middle and moderate and you'll get more votes? And the reality was I wasn't there just to get votes. I was there to please the Father in heaven. And the outcome is his. I didn't win. That's okay. And so um, we have to remember that we are serving the one whose glory is with us. So the very first thing we have to do is, first of all, continue to pray for our nation. We're not, we cannot cease praying. No matter what the condition, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how depraved it gets, we cannot stop praying. We are called to pray. Here we have in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, I exhort you, first of all, that what? supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, including kings and all who are in authority. Oh, boy. Oh, Lord. Okay. Lord, I'm, I'm okay with supplications. I'm okay with prayers. I'm okay with intercession. But you want, you want me to give thanks for the, some of these people that are in authority over us? Now, why would God's word say that? We're not grateful. I'm not grateful for these people that are in authority. But I'm giving thanks that God is sovereign. You see, you see that, what I'm saying? I'm giving thanks that God is sovereign. Because in his sovereignty, he will allow righteous leaders to rise up, but he will also allow wicked leaders to rise up. And it is based on the condition of his people. That's the first place to look. It's the condition of his people. And so if we have unrighteous, ungodly leaders over us, or if we have lukewarm leaders over us, then that's because of the condition of his people, the condition of his church. And so I struggle with that sometimes, but I give thanks because I say, God, I'm giving thanks to you that you're still sovereign. Now, if you look at the screen there, you see the word supplication. I put the definition of that. It really means our petition. It means that when we go before the Lord, we, it is okay to petition the Lord. Because first of all, we petition the highest court. Who's the highest court? The throne of heaven. That's the court, the courtroom of heaven, right? That's the highest court. I petition the king of kings, amen? Who is ruler over all. Please remember, Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of the Father with, with, with the the 
iron rod in his hand, and he has promised that he will make the earth his footstool. Don't forget that. No matter what all these globalists are doing, he will make this earth his footstool. Amen? Amen. He will. He will subdue the nations. He will. All knee, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. But here's the thing. In the meantime, he's allowing the will of man to play out. We do offer prayers. We offer intercession, which means what? To stand in the gap. If there's nobody praying, I should be praying. If there's nobody praying and interceding, I stand. Because just like Jesus is our intercessor, Jesus is our mediator. He stands in the gap between us and the Father because how many of you know the gospel says that there is no way to the Father but through him? Amen? And so we have to remember that we have to intercede. But what are we petitioning? What are we interceding for? Well, the verse tells you. I've highlighted it for you. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So this is the conundrum. I wake up in the morning, and I want to just live out my faith, love on my family. I have enough work to do with raising six kids with my wife. There's plenty to do there. There's plenty to do with just going and making known the Lord without having to then go into the arena of our culture and deal with that. But when the culture and the government becomes now antagonistic to this purpose. It will not allow me to lead a quiet life. It will not allow me to lead a peaceable life. It will not allow me to lead a godly and, and reverential life to the one true God, to the one true king. Then I have no choice but to now do what? Step in and engage the culture and engage the battle. Because I have to remind them what am I petitioning? I don't just petition the king. I also petition those rulers. I got to go and pay, give supplication. I have to go before the rulers and remind them, your responsibility, sir or madam, is to be a good magistrate, a good ruler, and allow God's people to live in peace so that we can freely worship our Lord, raise our children so that our children are not bait. When my children become bait and become a target, I have no choice. I'm not going to stand by and do nothing. When children are being murdered, mutilated, we cannot. Does that make sense? We cannot. We'd love to. We'd love to. I don't think, Pastor, I don't think you like to be hated, do you? I mean, do you enjoy it? I don't. I don't enjoy being hated. I don't enjoy being called names. I don't enjoy the death threats. But guess what? If they will not allow me to lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, and therefore I have to engage. I have to remind them that's their responsibility. Now, when we pray for our nation, everybody loves to use 2 Chronicles 7.14, and it's a good verse. But we sometimes forget the context. And the context is, remember, that King Solomon is now dedicating this amazing temple that is built. And God has told him that he will be there, but there is a condition. 
There's a condition to the presence of God. God's presence does not just automatically come because we call for it or think that we gather. We have to hunger and thirst for God's presence, and then God's presence comes if we're obedient. So in the context, here's the entirety of the verse. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among the people. Why does God start with that? Because under the law back then, this was a conditional observance. If they were obedient to God, God blessed them. If they were disobedient to God, there were consequences, there were curses. And so God is saying, because I've sent warning and I've sent prophets to warn you and you didn't listen, so now I have to send no rain or I have to command the locusts or I have to send pestilence. All of that is ultimately what? It's judgment for correction's sake, to turn them back. And he's saying now, when those things happen, here's what your response should be. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Amen? But we forget to read the next two verses. Because here's the next two verses of 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Remember, first of all, this is first and foremost for Israel. It is not a blanket statement. It is first and foremost for Israel. Now, is it applicable to how we can pray for our nation? Absolutely. But it's actually not talking about the nation. What is it talking about, first and foremost? Look what the Lord says. Now, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer, to prayer inside this place. What is this place? The temple. They're in the temple. What is Solomon dedicating? The temple. What has God said that he will inhabit? The temple. God is saying, I will come and inhabit your praises in the temple. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. He's after the temple. Now for us as believers today, where is the temple? Right here. This is the temple. And so God's promise is that he wants to come inside this temple and perpetually inhabitate that temple. Amen? Think about it. I mean, that, that concept just blows my mind. That the living God can come and inhabit this body, this flesh, this temple. The Holy Spirit can do that? That's incredible. And forever, he desires eternal. He's an eternal God. And so the starting point of the turning, the starting point of the intercession, the starting point of the prayer, the starting point of humbling is where? In his house. Now, when a whole bunch of us who are individual temples of the Lord come together and together we mutually corporately worship the Lord two or more in my presence or we gather in his presence now the Lord says I am willing to come in that place and now the church not a building but the church the body becomes the place of the inhabitants of the presence of God but there's a there's a condition isn't it what did the verse say go back to what the verse said you got to first humble yourself. You got to pray. You got to seek my face and then turn from your wickedness. So all of this begins in the house of God. 
We want our nation. Listen, I said earlier, we, it's easy to curse the darkness. It's easy to be like, man, it's so evil. It's so bad. And, and I, I'm guilty of that. And I focus on that. But we got to remember, we got to come back and take care of business right here. We got to first take care of business in the house of God. That's why the Bible says, where does judgment begin? In the house of God. Where does correction begin? Come on, in the house of God. Uh, can I ask you a question? If the house of God doesn't receive correction, you think the nation's going to receive correction? If the house of God doesn't hear the voice of God, you think, you think Governor Lee out there is going to listen to the voice of God when he's got all these other lobbyists and special interests speaking in his ear? Because the house of God must go to those in authority and say, hey, governor, hey, mayor, hey, so-and-so, we're praying for you, but we're also here to remind you of whom you serve. Governor, you don't serve just the people of Tennessee. You serve the almighty living God, and you're accountable to him. So number one responsibility, we got to pray for our nation. And we have to not forsake that prayer. And there are so many people that when they see our activism because of our prayer, because you, here's the thing, here's the thing. When you pray, sometimes God activates you. It's a scary thing. Because you start praying, Lord, I'm praying, I have a burden for this or burden for that in our culture, and we're seeing these happen. And then you better watch out because sometimes God will say, well, what are you going to do about it? Oh, wait, wait, wait. You're talking to me, Lord? You want me to do something? I, I thought I was okay just praying in my closet. No, pray in your closet. But you got to also go out there and engage and pray. So we have to pray. Number two, we have to declare the gospel. That salvation is in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. We have to preach the gospel without apology. I get so, so, so frustrated at how many Christians are perverting the gospel because the Bible does not say go into all the world and debate the gospel. Go into all the world and, and apologize. I'm sorry, I don't want to offend you, but would it be okay if I tell you about the one who has come to save your destiny? It doesn't say any of those things. It says go into all the nations and we're supposed to declare yes. the gospel. Amen. We're supposed to declare it. Yeah. And Apostle Paul here in Romans 10 speaks of this, that we're called to go. Otherwise, how will they hear? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in, whom, in him of whom they have not heard? Speaking, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? So we're called to take the light, not hide it, and take it into the world and impact the darkness. You all agree the darkness is much and great and collapsing around us. And yet there's very few out there that are actually declaring the gospel in the midst of the darkness here in America. And other parts of the world, they're doing it at great cost. 
And I love the second part of this passage in verse 14 to 15, where it says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Isn't this consistent with, remember, the armor of God? What's the thing that's on your feet in the armor? Sandals? Shod with the preparation or peace of the gospel. So God's preparing us. And part of the armor that we put on is we put on those sandals and we walk and, 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 and our feet are supposed to be the representation of the gospel going into the world and carrying the peace. Because when you preach the gospel, you're at peace. You see how that works? Did you hear what I just said? When you preach the gospel, you're at peace because you've done what you're supposed to do. You've declared it. My job is not to save anybody. Amen? My job is to declare the gospel. It's the work of the Spirit that brings the salvation. Amen? But what gospel are we preaching? Because what I see it so often is now a half-hearted gospel. You know, we preach Jesus and his love. Amen? But if we stop there, or we miss the fun, well, Jesus loves everybody and everything. Jesus never gets offended. He never gets upset. Nothing is wrong. He accepts everybody. Everybody. Big, big, big hug to everybody. And that's the only Jesus we present. And we don't present the other side of Jesus that is a holy, righteous, living, just God who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We got to preach the totality. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. If you can see it on the screen, I love it. It is either all of Christ or none of Christ. I believe we need to preach again a whole Christ to the world, a Christ who does not need our apologies, a Christ who will not be divided, a Christ who will either be Lord of all or will not be Lord at all. Amen to that. That's the gospel. That's the light. That's the good news. And we have to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Because it's not my reputation. It's his reputation. Some of you may have seen on Facebook, I posted um, this story. Uh, I was in Florida uh, picking up my son uh, from discipleship school. And... Um, uh, I had a day before he was going to be picked up, and so I was just on the beach down there just walking and praying and worshiping and just seeking the Lord. Lord, what's next? Just what's next? Lord, prepare us. Prepare me. Prepare us. Prepare your body for what's next. And uh, as I was walking and praying, uh, I, my eyes uh, caught up to, there was a man there who was fishing on the ocean, you know, he has pole in there and was fishing. Uh, and and I, my eyes caught this creature. Uh, I think it's a crane, isn't it? And, and, and this little bugger was just, he was just, he kept coming up and back and up and back because the guy had, uh, and, and this guy was, was worldly. I mean, he, he, I mean, he was just very worldly looking, you know, and, and, and so he was, he was a very rough looking guy. I mean, he was, he was not very approachable in the sense of someone you'd want to, you know, maybe go and give him a hug, you know, but, but, but this little, this, this thing, this creature, uh, 
kept going up to where the guy had fish and was trying to steal the fish. So as I'm walking, this thing catches my eye, and I felt like the Lord said, man, this is just like Satan. He's always trying to steal. So I walked past, and I'm just, I'm, I got my little uh, thing in my ear, and I'm worshiping, and just so heavily I felt the Holy Spirit just stop me. Turn around and go talk to that man. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, what do I say to him? And this is in my spirit, of course. He's speaking to my spirit. He says, well, you see how he's fishing? I want you to go tell him, you're fishing for fish, but I want to tell you about the one who's the fisher of men. So I go over there. I strike conversation. We're talking, and I ask him, what kind of, what are you fishing for? You know, what, what kind of fish do you catch over here? And all that kind of stuff, and find out his background. He's native to Florida and all this stuff. And then I said, you know, uh, I just want to let you know, this may sound weird, but uh, I'm a Christian, and I was walking by, and I was praying, and I feel like I have a message from the Lord for you. And he's like, really? And I said, yeah. And I said, you know, you're fishing. You're, you're trying to catch fish. But there's one who's come who's called the fisher of men. His name is Jesus Christ. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I went to church when I was a kid. And, 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 uh, but, man, he had a lot of baggage and a lot of misconceptions and a lot of objections and a lot of brick walls up, a lot of hurt. And then he's trying to tell me, well, you know, I, I follow the Old Testament kind of. I, the Ten Commandments, I follow that. I'm, I'm trying to be a good person. So I had that conversation with him about, you know, well, have you ever lied? Have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your eyes? And we went through that whole thing, and pretty soon I realized, well, I fail at a lot of the Ten Commandments. And I said, you know, the Bible says we're all going to have to stand before God one day. And then he asked me, because I said I'm a pastor, he says, really? I, listen, this has been bugging me. Um, what's all this stuff about the end times? I hear everybody talking about the end. Are we in the end times? And I said, well, that's a great question. That's a right guy. And I said, you better believe it. We're in the end times. And I said, I know there's a lot of back and forth, and people are talking about what's going to happen, all this stuff. And, and we don't know everything exactly, but here's what we know. Every person has to be right with God. Every person is going to have to stand before their maker, their creator. And you won't be able to rest on how good of a person you are because you won't be a good, you're not a good person. Because all of us, I've sinned, and all of us fall short of the glory of God, and we've sinned. And I shared my testimony. I came from Islam into Christian faith. Well, anyway, we were talking, and, I'm, and now my hotel room, because I had to check out. I was checking out that morning. So I'm sitting there going, I'm looking at the time, and, and we're going on over 45 minutes, we're talking. And I'm like, what do I do? I got to go. Lord, what do I do? And I answered his objections, and we're talking through a bunch of stuff. And um, I just felt like the Lord released me. Sharam, just trust me. You've done what you're supposed to do. You've presented the gospel. Go. But pray for him before you go. And so I said, hey, Rob, his name is Rob. Rob, can I pray for you? Really? Like, he was just kind of like, you want to pray for me? And I said, would it be okay if I put my hands on your shoulder? Because the Bible says we can actually lay hands. And I want to encourage you guys. In all the years that I've shared the Lord with people, there's only been maybe three or four times that people have rejected prayer. It's a powerful, powerful way of just allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work and, and, and knowing once you've done your part. So I, I was very bold and I prayed and I'm, I'm just praying. I'm like, Lord, Rob needs you. Rob needs, 
revelation. He needs understanding. He's got all this baggage. He's got objections. Lord, you know where his heart is. You know his past. And so, Lord, Lord, I pray you would make Rob a fisher of men. You would bring him to salvation. And I'm praying, I don't care. Because we have to be bold. Because I got one chance. Am I going to ever see this guy again? Probably not. But I told him after I finished praying, I said, Rob, I just want you to know, I'm going to share this with people from our ministry. And there's going to be a lot of people praying for you. And thank God, you know, that one, Facebook didn't shadow ban as bad as the other ones and actually got out there. So hundreds and thousands of people probably are praying for him. But my point is that, I, that the Lord gave me peace. Because when we carry the gospel of peace and we do what we're supposed to do in declaring the Lord, there's peace. I'm at right. I, I, I'm, I'm right with God and I'm right with this man. Because my heart was for him because that was the heart of the Lord. I love this quote, and I tried to look up where it was from, and there's some controversy about where it came from, but it's a, it's a good quote. When the world is, is at its worst, the church must be at its best. Would you agree the world is at its worst? Yeah. Just like during COVID? During COVID, the church should have been at its best. Yeah. And we were at our worst. We, knew, we looked no different than the world. And I love this. Um, some of you are familiar with Ignatius of Antioch, one of the early church founders. And Ignatius, um, by his own testimony, he was called to go back to Rome, Bishop of Antioch. He had to go back to Rome. He was called back to Rome to answer for his Christian faith. And so he told a lot of his followers, and he wrote in his letters, um, and this is approximately about 107 AD, as you see on the screen, he addressed um, fellow bishop and six other of the church leaders, and he knew that he was probably not coming back. You know what I mean by that, right? Yeah. And he ends up being one of the earliest martyrs in Christianity, other than, of course, the immediate disciples, uh, one of the most high-profile martyrs. And you see the quote here, and I love this quote. For the work we have to do is no affair of persuasive speaking. I'm not going to... I'm not going to convince because, again, we don't go into the world and apologize for the gospel. We don't go into the world and, and debate the gospel. I'm declaring it because why? Christianity lies in achieving greatness in the face of the world's hatred. And as Pastor preached, I think last week, was on the fact that if the world loves you, hmm, there's a problem. You're good to go with the world, but you're not good to go with God. Because if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, the world is not going to love us. And we got to be ready for that. But I tell you, God's doing an amazing thing around the world in these last days. He's pouring out a spirit. And there's so many examples. I just want to share this one with you. This is out of Venezuela, uh, a socialist, communist country. They're, uh, as you know, they're in such shambles with their economy. People are desperate, and people are turning to all. Listen, and I just did a show on this this past week on this aspect of, again, spirituality. I keep saying this and making this argument because I keep hearing Christian leaders say, we're, we're in a post-spiritual world. I so vehemently disagree. We are in a hyper-spiritual world. People are so, that's why people are so interested in UFOs, right? All the UFOs, we have con hearings in, in, in the Congress where the guy says, well, I, uh, let me tell you about these biologicals. Well, where is this? Oh, I can't tell you. We need to go into a, a private committee. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. 
But how many of you know Satan masquerades? And that there are legitimate supernatural things that are being manifested because Satan is the father of lies and is an angel of light. And there's a lot of demons. But the point is, people are in hyper-spirituality. They're longing. And so this is a place in Venezuela that is rife with witchcraft. They're turning to Wiccanism and witchcraft. And now 12,000 people, 45,000 people came to this city in Venezuela. They were expecting maybe 20 to 25,000. 45,000 people show up and 12,000 people receive Christ because they are hungry when the gospel is presented unapologetically, unashamedly. And powers are broken. Amen? Because our God is not afraid of witchcraft. Our God is not afraid of demons. He subdues them in his name. So number one, we got to pray. Number two, we got to preach without apology. And number three, we have to pursue godliness. And this really goes in with abiding. Because the only way to achieve godliness is to abide. That's the only way. If you're that branch that is not connected, you're not going to be demonstrating godliness. Because it's not, it's not in our own ability, is it? Is it? It's the work of the Spirit. You guys know this passage, Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so how are we going to exalt? Again, easy to curse the darkness, but we have to choose to live as an example. Amen? We have to choose to live as light in the darkness as an example of God's righteousness. We have to be that example. And um, I love this passage. This goes back to the book of Isaiah again, the prophet. In chapter 5, if you read chapter 5, he is speaking to Israel, again, in their state of apostasy, and he's bringing what they call the woe. These are the Old Testament woe passages. And so he's giving the woe, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. But then something happens in chapter 6 because now he has an encounter where he's, he's now come. And, and, and when God has called him, right, remember he, he's, he's seeing the visible imagery of God. And now he says, woe is me, for I am undone. Well, why is he undone? Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So he's recognizing that not only is the condition of the nation unclean, but yet I am unworthy, right? I'm not standing here saying, look how godly I am. I'm standing here saying, I'm unworthy. But I'm standing here as a representative of the light, of the glory of God. And I desire to live godly. And I desire to have clean lips, pure hands, pure heart. Because look at at what he says. Why is he in this state? Why is he so moved? Boy, some of those social gospel preachers need to hear this. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, when we come into the presence of God, when we experience the presence of God, when we experience the holiness of God, it reminds us of how unworthy we are, but yet of how much he loves us and how much he desires to be with us. And therefore, that should be my, that's my motivation, right? My motivation is I desire to live a godly life in Christ and be an example of light in the darkness. Why? Because he's so holy. Because he's so holy. And so as we wrap up and 
if, if, if Nolan wants to come up or not, I don't know if he's, oh, they already left. Did they already go for the piano? It's okay. Do you want to play a little bit for me, Pastor Ken? Oh, no, he's back there. Sorry, sorry. I, I, didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to throw it on you, Nolan. I'm sorry. He's coming. I was, I was trying to cue it up there. So let's, let's, let's just review here. Number one, we got to pray. Pray for our nation. Cease, not cease praying. Number two, we got to not cease being bold and pray for greater boldness. Pray for greater witnessing and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Can I ask you, today we are living, and I've said this many times, in the worst persecution of Christians in church history, numerically speaking. And yet we're in the Bible Belt. If we cannot be bold in the Bible Belt, where can you be bold? If we cannot be bold in the buckle of the Bible Belt, where can you be bold? If we cannot proudly, unashamedly declare Jesus Christ as the one true God in the buckle of the Bible Belt, then you're not going to do it anywhere else. Because there's, as I already said, there's many dark places in this nation that are darker than here. And everywhere has darkness. Nowhere is immune from darkness, but we're supposed to shine the light. And so my prayer is that as we pray for our nation, as we declare the gospel, as we choose and pray that God, listen, if we're going to live godly lives, and, and, and this is just something, again, the Spirit's putting on my heart, and, and I think it goes back to what Pastor said with, with, with the abiding and the dependency on God. Please hear me. This is not a self-will decision. I cannot self-will myself. I'm going to be godly. 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 I have to be determined in my heart, but I have to rely on the Lord. And I have to rely. Next week, I'm going to be teaching because Pastor Ken's going to be out of town. I'm going to be teaching. I'm going to be bringing a message on the importance of discipleship. Because I still believe that so much of the church, particularly in the West, when you look at the church growth in the other parts of the world, it's not church growth. It's discipleship growth. Because under great persecution, they're not worried about planning the next church, planning the next church. They're worried about making the next disciple, making the next disciple, making the next disciple. Because if we make disciples, everything else is taken care of. And it's not minimizing the other aspects of the ministry of the church. It's just saying our number one responsibility is to grow as disciples of Christ and to pursue godliness, holiness, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear my heart in that? Again, I'm a, I, I am a very self-determined person. I have a strong will. And that could be good and that could be bad. And there's times where I, 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 I realize, uh-oh, stop, I'm doing it in my own strength. Lord, I'm sorry. I want to be dependent on you. But we cannot be a testimony to this dark world. And I see this a lot, right? Politically, we see it a lot. We're the people that are griping and complaining and petitioning about all the evil that's going on in our land. But can I tell you right now, that's not going to change America. It will not change America one single solitary bit. Because it has to happen in the house of God. And then be, even before that, it has to happen in my house and in your house. Because where's where the temple? Right here. Right here. It's got to happen here. The work has got to happen here, and then it's got to happen in the family, and then it's got to happen in the house of God. And guess what? If we're faithful to that, 
we're going to impact the culture. It's going to have some impact. But we need more light, folks. Amen? We need more light. Bring in the candles. And I, I got to end with this story. I promise I'd share this. These silly glasses. Okay. Here's the story. This is really cool. May 19, 1780. It was a remarkable day in the northeast of America. There was a great darkness that came over the land. I remember they didn't have street lights, right? They didn't have all the buildings with lights in them. It was very ominous, and people all of a sudden thought it was the end of the world. In Hartford, Connecticut, the legislature was meeting. Many concluded that this was the end. So the House of Representatives adjourned, stopping the meeting, thinking it was all over. Like literally, the end of the world has come. It's all over. Why bother having legislature? However, in the Senate, when someone brought up the motion to adjourn, Colonel Abraham Davenport, who was the leader of the Senate at that time, said this, I am against adjournment. The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there's no cause, cause for an adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. I wish, therefore, that candles may be brought in so that we can continue with the work at hand. Lord, I wish you'd bring in the candles because the work is before us, church. And I want to be found at work. Amen? I want to be found faithful and on duty. I don't want to be asleep. I don't want to presume because the end will come when the end comes. The Lord will come for us when he comes. And I must be responsible and you must be responsible to your duty as a follower of Christ. Amen. And if someone's here today and you don't know the Lord, you're not a follower of Christ, let's rectify that right now. Today. Do not wait five minutes. Do not wait ten minutes. Do not say, I'll do it after lunch. Oh, I'll go to the picnic and check it out. Get saved right now. Let's go to the picnic and we'll baptize you right in the picnic. Amen? Let's do it. No time to waste. Because as much as Pastor Kim wants me to run for governor, I want the Lord to come back. But I don't want you to miss out on the Lord coming back. Amen? Bring in the candles. Bring in the candles. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your incredible encouragement, Lord. We thank you for your word. Again, Lord, have its way in us. Father, I pray that you would fuel the fire in us. Make our light brighter. Make our salt saltier. Make us so salty that the world will want to spit us out when they're committing their evil acts. But Lord, those who are seeking after you, who seek the truth, will receive that as life-giving. Let our light shine so that men could see the works of the Lord in us. We know our faith is not built by works, but our faith is also dead without works. We need to be faithful to you in our lives personally, in our families, and in the church of God. Thank you, Father, that you called upon your people to pray, your people to humble themselves, 
your people to seek your face, your people to turn from their wicked ways. And then will you hear, then will your eyes be attentive, then will your ears be attentive to the cries and the petitions and the prayers and the intercessions of your people. Thank you for your sovereignty, Lord. And help us to be found faithful to the very last hour because we love you and we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise?